Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, back once again, feeling a thousand times better than last week, but battling the flu, trying to get through the, the interview with Effie, which thank you again to Effie for coming on the show last week. But I am almost fully recovered. I am back in the saddle, and we have an awesome conversation coming with Uncanny Attractions' Darnell Mitchell later on in the show. But I wanted to change things up a bit because something monumental happened in the world of pro wrestling last week. Last Wednesday on AEW Dynamite, Nyla Rose won the AEW Women's World Championship. And I felt that the perfect person to have on to discuss exactly what that means for pro wrestling and for how uh, communities of differing uh, gender identities and sexualities interact with pro wrestling would be none other than uh, Fanbyte's own Colat Aaron. How are you doing today, Colat? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Yes. So obviously Nyla Rose capturing the belt on Wednesday night was a huge moment for uh, for queer pro wrestling. I mean, she became, to my knowledge, the first uh, trans woman to hold a major American promotions women's championship. Um, how did the moment come off to you? What were your impressions uh, from the match and just general emotions? Um, the match caught me entirely by surprise. Um, I mean, I knew it, that the that you know the match had been booked and that things were going to happen, um, but you know there didn't seem to be like any indication that like Riho's reign was was coming to an end, um, and like Nyla like winning, um, I felt like would have been something that they should have done like first, um, like because you know that was just a possibility that they that they threw out there. Um, so I thought that it was going to be like a really good competitive match between two people who'd already had two other good competitive matches. Um, but it was uh, their best match uh, so far, uh, like by far too. Like I thought that the match was spectacular. Um, even if Nyla had lost, like I would have been completely happy with like how it came off and how everything went. Um, but you know, instead, you know, I got this entirely unexpected, hugely emotional surprise, uh, in, uh, watching a trans woman, uh, capture a, a championship, like a, a, a women's championship that is defended on television, um, on a network that has a long and extensive history with professional wrestling. No, like it's mentioning tnt's legacy actually does put this into a bit more perspective just turner's history overall with professional wrestling like dating back to like the mid 70s where like it's been a part of this this family of broadcasting uh, networks for a long time even with the lulls in between and like to see that moment happen on a channel that has such a rich history yeah like that that had a added more to the impact in, in some ways um i'm curious though because like you're not the first person in, including myself to kind of criticize uh the first nyla riho match back in october on the debut episode of dynamite where riho defeated nyla to win the title a lot of people did um, offer criticism saying that nyla should have won that match to begin with 
Um, I'm curious uh, if what exactly uh, led to those criticisms and in, in, for you personally. I mean, obviously, it's it's one of those things where like the the person who should win isn't determined by fans. It's determined by um, you know the people who are who are booking the show. And in this instance, like the um, the structure at AEW has been pretty public uh, to where. Uh, I feel like the person who's in charge of the women's division is generally speaking, Kenny Omega. Um, and while I would never, you know, say that going with Riho um, was like due to Kenny's relationship with Riho, like that they've established through both of their, you know, careers uh, overseas in Japan. Um, I would say that she was kind of the safe bet. Like she's a, incredibly talented wrestler like there's no question about it like i i honestly think that if you stacked her up against anyone on the aew roster um to say nothing of like wwe or anyone else's rosters that she might be pound for pound like the best wrestler in that company um that being said though uh once nyla got signed to aew it felt like her identity became a major source like a an issue for um you know, a certain segment of the wrestling fan base. Mm -hmm. Um, And they had set it up to like, and like there was really no escaping, you know, Nyla's identity as a, as a transgender woman. Um, So in like their booking, what, what happened was they set up a match between um, a black first nations trans woman and, you know, a, a very talented wrestler. Um, and in, on the first episode of their television show, uh, and that is setting yourself up for, you know, like kind of a lose-lose situation because you're trying to define your women's division. And a lot of times you want to go with the most, the most talented person to do that. Um, at the same time though, you are offering up like this incredible moment in history, uh, like in the history of professional wrestling, like as a whole, um, like, as you said earlier, uh, she is the first woman to hold a, the first trans woman to hold a major women's championship in the United States, but there's not a whole lot of trans women who've held championships in general. Um, so they, they offered up a huge groundbreaking moment and settled on having a good match and having a good champion. Um, and it was kind of disappointing. Like, it was one of those things where a lot of people were, were riding, riding on Nyla to do it, like to kind of like make, um like some kind of headline out of the show beyond just here's a new wrestling show um and i don't know i feel like the the direction um in the article that i wrote about this for fanbite i mentioned that um the division kind of felt a little bit rudderless because um having like a a diminutive talented face champion um doesn't quite give you the same amount of definition that having like a, a, a supposedly unbeatable monster heel does. Um, so I feel like they, they kind of lost out both from a, a storyline perspective and from a historical perspective. But, you know, being the second women's champion uh, is, is also a huge deal. Like that's the second title change in the company's history. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting path that, that this uh, championship reign takes. Um, because like yes, she's the second champion in the in the lineage of the title, but I think that like her 
her identity kind of supersedes that status in a lot of ways because of how much it it does it does mean to these marginalized communities that she represents like you don't get that many like you don't get that much representation in one person that often you know and it's really awesome to see that they're that they're getting behind her in that way you know i we were before we jumped on here we were talking just briefly about you know cody's uh conference call on tuesday and where like he basically said that the nyla rose won the title because she is the best woman in AEW right now you know they mm-hmm. they have full faith in her um and for good reason and you know i know the company has itself kind of built its reputation on uh you know AEW is for everyone um even if it hasn't always put the their money where their mouth is per se um but like this does like speak to the message in a lot of ways, even if they aren't being like very explicit about it. Yeah, I would say so. Um, And I also think too, that, you know, part of, part of this win and like part of Cody's response to questions about it um, has a lot to do with um, something that, that I find, you know, nice as a trans person who consumes media, which is, not treating Nyla's character as like it's it's a big deal because she won the title it's not a in in character it's a big deal because she won the title it's not a big deal because she's a trans woman who won the title um like that has never come up in programming um it's never been made an issue like that's not part of any like you know critical play-by-play analysis that Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone provide um like they they have by and large, just presented Nyla as a as a talented woman who wrestles, um, and I feel like that is almost as groundbreaking as as the moment itself, um, because that's not how trans women are frequently portrayed on television. Um, so yeah, like I, I I think that there's there's definitely something to that, um, and it's kind of interesting how they're going about it. Like I don't think that it's going to be part of her ongoing character like i just think that it's you know she's the native beast she's one of the biggest strongest most imposing women on the roster um and it's going to be tough for people to beat her and i i feel like that is you know as fascinating and as good and classically wrestling storytelling um as any of the you know outside personal stuff that surrounds it Mm. What has been uh, your favorite thing to watch in the fallout from from the win? Like I know Nyla and a lot of people in AEW, a lot of uh, trans uh, and queer wrestling fans have been very vocal on Twitter about like celebrating the win and everything. Nyla has been full force out there, just putting herself out there with the same <laughs> confidence that she always has. Like it's mm-hmm. been it's been an, it's been awesome to see. It's just been like great image after great image. Um, from a lot of communities um, obviously you have the other communities that are honestly don't deserve to be mentioned on this show um in a lot of ways but <laughs> yeah they're there but they're always there they're whatever um but what's been what's excited you the most about seeing what's happened around the aw fandom and around wrestling since this has happened um i think the outpouring of joy from trans wrestling fans in general has been my favorite thing like that's really easy to go with but um 
you know, like it's it's a big moment for um, you know, for trans and non-binary people who uh, have been told uh, at some point in time that like representation is coming, but have been constantly kept waiting. And until this point, like the two biggest like overtures to our community have been the signing of Nyla and Sunny Kiss. Um, so seeing them make good on on one of those wrestlers um, has been kind of like this thing where like uh, there's there's a huge community of trans and queer people who watch professional wrestling and you know we've been told uh, you know our entire pro wrestling watching lives that our audience isn't something that should be catered to or be made special or any of this other stuff um, so seeing that perspective you know shot down in raising up this this trans woman uh to like really i would say i don't i don't know that i could put the AEW women's championship on par with any of the wwe ones but like certainly one of the most like uh certainly one of the the most respected championships in AEW um one of the most respected women's championships in the scene uh means means a lot to this community and seeing uh all of that pour out has been pretty affirming Mm-hmm. How quickly do you think we see a T-shirt that says "Die Mad" about it on it? <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> there isn't already one. AWShop.com <laughs> uh, needs to get on their game right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, they fire up those directed garment printing machines and, and hook it up. Exactly. So I guess my last question for you, Colette, about about this win is: uh, where where do you see it going from here, um, or where would you like to see it go from here? Um, I would like to see another, like, obviously I want Riho to get her, her rematch, but, um, I think along with that rematch, like, I want to see the company, like, kind of definitively say, like, this is who we're going with. Like, this is our champion for the next however long. Um, and like, it's so, so strange. I've been thinking a lot about, like, just in general, like, watching a, a brand new company, because, like, I, I wasn't there when TNA launched, um, and I wasn't there when uh, WCW became WCW, but I, I have watched AEW, like, from the beginning, and I think that what I would like to see happen as a result of this is for the entire women's division to um, find some of the definition that it's lacked, um, and if it finds that under the championship reign of, of a trans woman, then, you know, that is uh, like an impossible idea. Uh, <laughs> like it's something that I honestly never thought about until it happened. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the unknown right now. And uh, I hope that everything shakes out and that um, Nyla ends up having, you know, just as much success in her reign as Riho had in hers. Uh, and that, you know, we find out who else uh, Nyla can wrestle against, like, so far as having great matches is concerned. Lots of exciting stuff. Uh, I can't agree with you more. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where this reign goes as well. Long reign, the Princess King, <laughs> Nyla Rose. Um, Colette, let everybody know where they can find you on social media and where they can read your stuff, as well as that, that awesome piece uh, that you did write about uh, the Nyla Rose title win over on Fanbyte. 
Yeah, um, I uh, am one of the the regular contributors uh, to FanBite's wrestling section, FanFight, uh, which you can find at fanbite.com slash wrestling. Um, I am on Twitter at Colette Arend. Um, and uh, I have a book of poems about wrestling called Hold Me Gorilla Monsoon that you can Google and purchase if that is your heart's desire. <laughs> well, thank you, Colette. Thank you. What's up, guys, guys, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I'm super excited to have my guest this week. I've been looking forward to having uh, him on for a while now, especially after talking about uh, Uncanny Attractions with MB Young a few weeks ago. Uh, we have another one of the brains behind that. But he has so much more going on as well. Um, he is a producer on the Pro Wrestling Mothership Network of podcasts, um, and they have a huge event with Uncanny Attractions coming up down in Tampa. I believe that's going to be the fourth volume of Drags and Dropkicks on uh, Thursday, April 2nd, down there at Southern Nights. Please welcome the fabulous fashionista of New York City, one Darnell Mitchell, to the show. How are you doing today, Darnell? I'm doing scrumptious. How are you doing? Oh, I, I honestly, I like that. That, that describes me as well. I think I'm feeling really, really <laughs> yummy at the moment. <laughs> I'm super excited to be here. So thank you very, very much for uh, having me on and having Indy on a couple of weeks ago. We really uh, appreciate it for sure. Oh, definitely no. Like this is like Uncanny Attractions is one of those companies that I think is doing the right thing with trying to push wrestling into a new area, especially whenever you're looking at a mostly like queer focus um, and, and with blatantly like queer leadership behind it. Like it's exactly what you would expect the that community to be pushing wrestling towards in a way. Um, so yeah, like I'm super stoked to have anybody involved with that company on the show especially you and mb like being the like two of the the three-headed brain behind the the operation there so yeah super excited before we get into that though i want i'm curious about this uh pro wrestling mothership network um can you tell me a little bit more about what you do there like what kind of shows do y'all have on on the network uh yeah so it started a couple of years ago 2016 uh the Mothers. Uh, who's no longer a part of the podcast. Uh, I kind of took over some of his role in, in, in the podcast network. Uh, we have several different podcasts on the show. We have uh, Jobbing with Josh with Josh Winnett. We have Shotgun Radio with the two Zachs. Uh, we have a new podcast called That Music Podcast with Kevin Wilder and Zach Tickus, where they discuss uh, music reviews. Well, we kind of wanted something that was kind of all-inclusive, uh, that kind of allowed us all to talk about our interests. Uh, I am the host of the Pro Wrestling Mothership Live, uh, it's me and Kevin Wilder, where we discuss um, AEW, WWE, Progress, uh, WOW, uh, NWA, all of wrestling news. Uh, and then I have made a podcast, I think we only have, we have 21 episodes out, called the Queer Nerd Podcast, where I have a guest on and we talk about everything from gaming to uh, movies to a lot of times that we do talk about wrestling. Uh, but there is a rule for the podcast. The podcast is uh, you can only be a woman, a queer person, or a person of color as my co-host, because I don't think that we have enough of those voices out there. So I, it is a deliberate uh, message for us that those are the voices that we want to uplift, because I think you can say, hey, I want to uplift 
people of color, but then having no people of color means nothing. Uh, so I try to have that on a podcast. We've had actually one straight person, straight cis white male on the on the podcast, um, and that was RJ City, but he doesn't really count because he's like the <laughs> gayest. <laughs> like, I was about to say <laughs> RJ, like, yeah, <laughs> that's an exception like, you can make. He's he's the sweetest guy. Uh, he's a person that I'm very very happy to call uh, a friend. Um, and he, yeah, I was like, dude, you're, you're fine. You're, you're allowed to be honest. <laughs> I'll give you that though. Uh, but yeah, um, it's a, you know, it's, I think it's a network, you know, we're always looking for new collaborators. Um, I do want to have like, uh, more women that, to work on the show or non-binary people to work in the show. Uh, I just, I, I want our podcast to be as all inclusive as Uncanny Attractions is, because uh, I think that there's so many podcasts out there, but it's a bunch of just born no offense but born not you know to anyone listening but born white dudes <laughs> like you can only listen to that viewpoint so often um, and i think it's i think we grow as a community when we hear different viewpoints uh and we learn things that we haven't thought about before so that's what we're trying to bring no i definitely agree with that i think you know i think you and me are of a like mind in that way i think we were when we were whenever i was kind of dreaming up what to do with this show like that was uh, a main focus of mine as well was to like showcase as many different voices as possible and trying to uplift as many voices as possible so that's a it's a novel motivation i would say and one that yeah. more people should undertake uh, in in all fields of of uh, podcasting and, and media, honestly, yeah, I, I think it's. I kind of said it online a, a couple of months ago. It's very unusual being uh, in Manhattan, and um, there are certain I'm not going to name names, but there are certain podcasts and companies uh, that are from Brooklyn that constantly say they're super progressive, but they don't actually have people of color on their show. Uh, it's all very white. And I think that if you're going to be about it, you have to actually be about it. Uh, and it's not very, very hard to do it. Um, so uh, I commend you very much so on actually uh, talking to talk and walking the walk. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> right back at you as well. Um, what, and it's actually interesting you bring up like, your like comments on Twitter and everything because like you're very active on social media from what I've seen. Oh, like, that's unfortunately. The, yes, I know it's the necessary evil in some ways. Um, but I like so many other people I've had on the show. Like you're one of those people that uses social media to be very outspoken about what you like see in the world, not just necessarily the wrestling world, although a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it is the wrestling world just based off of like what we're interested in and what, and what we cover. Um, but I don't know, like, has that always been something that you've, have you always been outspoken about these sort of things or, or is that something that like a new power that you found within yourself? Um, you know, I, I've always been outspoken. I, I have a very, I come from a, um, very specific family upbringing. I'm, I'm from the South, uh, and, uh, my family's very religious. Um, I came out when I was 14, so 20 years ago now, uh, in the South. And so I had to very quickly, and I was, you know, like 90 pounds. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally a smaller guy. I was really small back then. So I, I kind of always had to, have the biggest mouth in the room and uh, d defend myself as much as possible. I don't know how much of it was 
pure confidence and how much was a defense mechanism. Um, and I think that that has definitely translated to uh, me as an adult. I will say that I have become a lot more vocal as to who I am and what I represent in the past, I'd say, four or five years of my life. Mm -hmm. I just realized that there were a lot of things that um, I was letting slide. And uh, I knew that for whatever reason, when, uh, you know, in my personal life, whatever I spoke, people listened. So... I took it upon myself to be like, you know what? I, I actually need to speak up a little bit more about this because I don't know why, but <laughs> people actually <laughs> listen to what I have to say. Um, I try to be really careful online because I'm not perfect. Uh, I fuck up all the time, every single day. And I'm always trying to be a better person. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to point fingers too much uh, because, you know, pot calling the kettle black in some situations. But I, I think it's really, really important that we, we just try to better ourselves and try to uplift and elevate other people and hope they better themselves as well. Hmm. So I want to take it back a little bit before we dive into Uncanny, because that's going to I am very excited about that conversation. But like you said, you grew up in the South. Um, when did you start uh falling in love with with pro wrestling because i know growing up in the south i grew up in the south as well so like that's something mm -hmm. that can be like started from a very early age based off of just like the culture down there and and the reverence for the for the industry i well my i didn't watch it like when i was a little little kid i had i like knew who hulk hogan was but like i didn't know what hulk hogan did I knew, like, um, what's that movie I used to watch when I was like, oh, uh, They Live. Oh, yeah. Roddy yeah. Piper. Mm -hmm. I love that movie. No fucking idea who the fuck Roddy Roddy Piper was. <laughs> I was just like, this is the guy in the movie. Like, I, there was no connections to these things. And then my, my brother, I have a brother, um, who's also gay. <laughs> uh, oh, nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My mom was dating this gentleman who she later married, uh, who was my stepfather, um, in 19, the end of 1995. Uh, so I was about to turn 10, and I was not, so I was nine at the time. And he was like, hey, we're going to go to my friend's house, and we're going to watch wrestling. And my brother and I looked at each other like, I, we don't know what the fuck that means, but I, we have to go because I'm nine and you're 12. Like, we don't really get a decision in this. Uh, my uh, father actually raised me on comic books and video games, so I was obsessed with comic books and video games, especially obsessed with, like, the X-Men. And when we went there, it was the 1996 Royal Rumble, and I distinctly remember seeing – I don't remember anything else from that show, but I distinctly remember seeing The Undertaker and being like, oh, shit, this is a comic book. That's all this is. It's like, this is a comic book. It's a big comic book with good guys and bad guys, but it's real life. Obviously, I didn't later figure out. It wasn't real life, but at the time, <laughs> I thought, yeah, this guy is like probably dead and from coming back, and I don't understand how this is happening, and on TV, but I love this. And it just resonated with me, like, very much so. I tell people that uh, my first WrestleMania was obviously that year, too, so WrestleMania in 1996, and it's the perfect WrestleMania to describe me as a wrestling fan, because there's three, like, really important things that happened in that show. One, uh, I've never seen the Ultimate Warrior wrestle. I've seen one of his matches. 
And that was his squash match with Triple H. And that was at that WrestleMania. Do you know who Triple H came out with as his valet? I'm trying to think. I think it was, was that the first, was that the debut of Sable? The debut of Sable. Yes. Uh, and as people who follow me on Twitter know how much I love women's wrestling. And Sable, while things weren't the best backstage, uh, is someone that I absolutely adore. Um, for what she she has done a lot for women's wrestling, whether or not people want to admit that, but she did bring it to a mainstream that you never saw. Uh, she is the reason we had a woman's title brought back. But it was the debut of her, so I was like, who is this woman in this gorgeous evening gown? Because I'm here for it. Yes, glitter. <laughs> and then it was Goldust versus Roddy Roddy Piper in a, like, Hollywood, like, no-holds-bar, Falls Count Anywhere match. And while... I knew that there was something about my sexuality. I didn't know the word. Um, it was, it, I was automatically drawn to Goldust because I was like, he's different. And I don't know why I feel something because he's different. Um, and then it was Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in the Iron Man match. And as that, my, my sexuality went through waves through that show. And then once I got to the end, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, and I was like obsessed with Shawn Michaels because I thought he was super hot, uh, and I just didn't know how to put it into words. But yeah, so like that WrestleMania is like me as a fan put together in one. <laughs> That's actually really interesting to hear because that was my first WrestleMania as well, and really? I think yes, and I resonate with the exact same three matches that you do. <laughs> really? That's yes. crazy. Because that was my first Ultimate Warrior match. I had been super excited to see him because I had I had only heard about him. Because I started around the site. I think my first thing that I ever saw was a Raw at the end of 95 whenever Razor, Ramon, and Goldust were like in the midst of their feud. Uh And like Razor, Ramon threw Goldust out of the arena into the snow. Like that was the first time. That's the first wrestling I ever saw. And as soon as I saw Goldust, I'm like, oh, there's something. There's something here with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, Goldust was my first latching on point with pro wrestling. I, if not for that, I might have never even delved deeper. Um, Which and then, I find really fascinating, actually, that a lot of queer people resonated so much with Goldust, while at right? that time, Goldust was very homophobic. Like, uh, uh, in, in real life, Dustin, like, was, like, very homophobic, like, didn't want any... Um, anything to equate to his sexuality, but he was playing this very androgynous queer character and so many queer people latched onto it. So it's weird that he was our first real representation without actually being a good example of representation. I know it's just, it's such a complicated legacy, honestly. And, and even like, even looking back at other characters before him, like I know like another character, once I started like, really diving into it like i latched onto adrian street as well mm-hmm. and like i love adrian street to death but like there's there's just something like it's the same thing with gold dust like there's just not it's just there's just a disconnect in terms of like the pot like how positive this can this can actually be it's worse like the kind of defining the positivity of it in your own mind in some ways just like being able to see someone who you kind of see yourself in or see someone who isn't afraid to be this flamboyant character even if they are like using it as sort of like a like a gay panic sort of thing i mean come mm-hmm. on adrian street won a, won titles with by kissing dudes so like 
there's definitely a gay panic thing that plays into it. But I don't know. It's 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 one of those things I've worked over in my head to try and like figure out exactly why the those characters resonate with the community as much as they do whenever they have as many problems attached to them. Um I I still haven't come up with a concrete answer per se. I just know that I love I fucking love watching like almost any facet of gold dust. <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's when you are used to being uh, when you're part of a marginalized group and when you are used to not seeing yourself represented on screen, you latch onto anything that is giving you a hint of mm-hmm. it. Like which is even more insane for something like professional wrestling where like these dudes are literally naked. Like I have friends who are wrestlers and I say to myself, I'm like, yo, we only ever see each other really at wrestling shows. And then we like, we hang out afterwards, but 95% of the time I see you, you're naked. And like, it's, there's so much sexuality there, but we don't find that sexual. Um, And it's just weird that this, community that this business is has a lot of homophobia while being the gayest thing in the world and the only thing we felt that we could latch onto was this hit of gayness uh, even though the whole thing is super fucking gay if you like wrestling you you're a little gay oh yeah <laughs> like that's totally the, that's the rule Every, <laughs> that's the rule it's the gayest fucking thing and it's okay everyone can be a little bit gay like yes. it's, it's cool sexuality is a spectrum yeah. <laughs> no, and real quick before we move off of WrestleMania 12, because that Iron Man match was probably my favorite match of my fandom for a long, long, long time. And I think that, I don't know, there's just something about it. Like, I, I, I'm afraid to go back and watch it too many times because I don't want to ruin the magic I, of the first time. I don't think I've seen it since. Yeah. I think I, I really I think, don't think I have. Yeah, like I think I tried to watch it again maybe a couple of years ago. I started watching the whole pay per view again, and I got to there and like the first like five ten minutes, I'm like, I mm, I might need to turn this off. <laughs> I'm also not a big fan of like sixty minute matches. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how my attention span was kept for that amount of time uh, as a child, but like. I got it. You can wrestle. As an adult, I got it. You can wrestle. I got it. Like, all of our matches on Uncanny are usually around, like, 8 to 15 minutes, at the most 15 minutes. Um, And I think that there's this idea that long and epic, wait, sorry, long means epic. uh, And it doesn't necessarily, um, which is one of the reasons why New Japan Pro Wrestling is a very hard company for me to get into, even though I lack a lot of wrestlers. Um, just because, like, every fucking match is so fucking long. <laughs> Get to the point. Like, <laughs> it's so long. And so, like, looking back at these matches like that I used to watch when I was younger, I, I just, I don't have, I got shit to do. Like, let me, let's give me my 15 to 20 minutes and then let's go. Let's go to something new because it's just, it's hard. It's way too long. Which I don't say very often in, like, a personal life that it's way too long. So it's, like, (laughs) unfortunate. But this is where I say it. Uh, It's all right. There's preferences in all different facets of life. So perfectly fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I, I'm very curious about like the passion that you had about talking about women's pro wrestling, where we talked about Sable just for that brief minute there. Because I know like I've obviously like a, another figure from that era that resonates a lot with people is China. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious, like whenever you started getting into pro wrestling, did you find yourself gravitating more towards um, women's professional wrestling or gravitating oh. more towards the women? Absolutely. It was like 90 day. Uh, China, like to this, I could not tell you like when a lot of men debuted and like what was happening. China debuted at, I want to say it was In Your House, uh, that was the name of the pay-per-view, but it was their February pay-per-view in 1997 because it was my 10, uh, it was my 11, um, 11 years old uh, birthday party. I had a bunch of friends over from school. We ordered like at that time, Pizza Hut did those like massive like foot long pizzas that were like uh oh yeah fucking huge so we ordered that and we yeah right back in the day uh and then i remember it happening because i love marlena because i was like this is a bad bitch that's like smoking cigars all the time like fuck yeah um and i remember seeing it and saying immediately to my stepfather I need to watch Raw tomorrow because I need to know who this is. Can I stay up late also for my birthday? And he was like, sure. Because I would have to, I think Raw started at 9. Bedtime for me was 10. So I could watch the first hour of Raw, then I'd have to go to bed. But we'd keep it on record, and I could watch it when I got home from school after I did my homework the next day. That was like the rule. Um, but he let me stay up so I could see if she was on the show, and that's when she shook around Marlena like a rag doll. Uh, I just think that, you know, and I'm going to make this weird correlation. I don't know how into comic books you are. Um, I used to write for comic book websites, so I'm fairly oh. into comics. <laughs> Great. Uh, I mean, this is an easy person to reference, but uh, my favorite comic book character is Jean Grey. Why? Because, uh, you know, X-Men started in September 1963. Jean Grey didn't do shit. She was always left behind. She was always considered the weakling of the group. When in actuality, she was the most powerful mutant in the world. Uh, and, then, and as time went on, you realize how powerful and how important she was. And that, to me, was a correlation to being a person of color and being a queer person. Uh, was I'm considered the, the, the weakling in this group, but I'm the most powerful because I have to deal with this every single day. And I have to be the best person that I can be to get things in life. And I correlated that with a lot of wrestling. Uh, even as a young person, because I was like, well, these women are only getting 20 minutes and this show is two and a half hours long. So they maximized every bit of what they had. And it was just, it was unbelievable to me as a fan. Actually, this morning, I actually spent, I was on WWE Network looking at old uh, promos and stuff of Sunny and Sable, Nicole Bass, like literally Ivory this morning, I was randomly doing that. But there was a sort of sense of camaraderie of like, hey, we're going to get the short end of the stick. You're going to get the short end of the stick because you're a woman in a male-dominated role. Um, So I should be supporting you more than anyone else. And they also had the things that I wanted in wrestling. Like, I loved fashion when I was a kid. Women brought it. Like, look back to some of China's outfits. China looked amazing every fucking time she came out. Like, serving looks, Sable, Jackie, all of these women brought the glitz, the glamour, and the athleticism to wrestling that men typically did not bring. 
Like, I thought Stone Cold was cool, but, like, Stone Cold wasn't flamboyant. Stone Cold wasn't doing anything that was, like, interesting enough for me, which is why I like Shawn Michaels, because he was flamboyant and he had the glitz and the glamour. But I think the women consistently brought that to wrestling, and that's what I naturally gravitated towards. So I, you know, when people do... I talked about on the podcast every single year when uh, the Hall of Fame comes on and everyone only has something to say about the women who are being um, put into it. And when people say, you know, no one knows who this person is, no one knows who this person is, there is a very dedicated group of uh, fan base who are typically women and typically queer men who, uh, like, can tell you every feud that someone like Crystal had. In WWE, I could tell you everything that Tori did in WWE. I could tell you about Ryan Shamrock. I can tell you everything about these women, Nidia, like my girl. Everything about these women because they were the selling point to wrestling to me. I watched ECW only for Francine, Domery, and Beulah McGillicuddy. <laughs> that is why I watched ECW. Because um, to me, they were they were everything I wanted in wrestling, uh, and they still are. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't, I don't know necessarily why it's still the thing because there's still great athleticism going everywhere else. But I, I like the variety in wrestling. If it's all the same, then what the fuck am I watching? Well, no, I mean that's that's really what has built the backbone of this of the industry in a lot of ways is being able to put out a variety of things. You know, like I mean, wrestling wrestling in and of itself is a variety show. So if you don't aren't serving multiple audiences, then you're honestly you probably don't have that long of a lifespan you know yeah you and it's uh it, it, again not so hard for a new japan pro wrestling i love the other new japan pro wrestling but it's a bunch of dudes and i get bored <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get really bored like i'm just like all right it's a bunch of dudes and they're all wrestle i get it you can all wrestle well got it you're gonna wrestle for 45 minutes cool uh, let me turn on wow. Like, <laughs> I, I will say this about New Japan, though. Like, at least a lot of the a lot of the guys there are, are serving looks as well. <laughs> like, Hiromu, Hiromu, oh guy. my god, Hiromu He's is amazing. a fucking icon now. <laughs> He's amazing. He is like one of the. He's the reason I watched Wrestle Kingdom this year. Yeah, because I think he is unbelievable. I think he is the best thing they have. I think he. He gets it. He gets the things that I love about wrestling. Glitz, glamour, ridiculousness, and athleticism. Like, that's what I like. Kim. Uh, you're not going to find anybody disagreeing with you. I think every guest that I've had on the show would say the same thing. <laughs> right. Like, he, he just resonates. He just resonates. Um, so I guess if, if, if you're interested, if you know everything about like Ryan Shamrock, I assume you are just having a ball with the uh, the emergence of of women's pro wrestling over the past decade. It's it's unbelievable, and I think the thing I remember, I mean, like this was so long ago, but um, what WrestleMania is it? WrestleMania Dallas, where it was a triple threat women's match: mm-hmm. Charlotte, Becky, and Sasha. Uh, I've never seen a woman have pyro since Alundra Blaze back in the day. So I remember sitting in the crowd and being like, oh, great, this is my main event. I'm really excited for this match. And then, you know, Becky had her smoke. That's what she always has. I don't consider that pyro. 
And then Sasha had the confetti come down. I was like, oh, wow. And then Charlotte came out and had pyro. And I looked at my friend. I was like, I almost cried because I was like, I never thought I would see this. Like, this is, they're, they're, they're being treated just like the men. And WWE, you can fault them for so many things. Uh, we know. We got it. We, we don't need to repeat it. But it is very unusual to me that WWE went from being one of the most um, degrading, you know, companies in terms of how they treated their women to one of the most progressive. Um, I, there is no other major wrestling company that puts women, like, in the forefront that WWE does. And they don't even do it that well. But, like, you look at pay-per-views and they have four or five women's matches now. That's insane to me. That's incredible to me. The fact the Minion Classic is incredible. It's why I harp on AEW because there's so many great women out there. And I, I just want to see more of that on screen for every single wrestling company because I, I've, I've never seen such an amazing crop of women um, finally getting their due. And it sucks because there, there was a time, there was a, there was a group of women who like just didn't get do especially independence like people like daisy hayes uh portia perez uh even sarah del rey to an extent you know who was you know obviously the trainer in wwe for nxt but like those women never got their madison eagles they never got their due diligence for like the amount of work they put in uh but i think that that was worth it for what we have now because the amount of shows that do women-only shows is amazing and super uplifting and super incredible. No, I definitely agree. I mean, without without people like like Sarah Del Rey, like you don't have Ladies Night Out right now. Yeah, like, you don't have Wow. Like, like it's it's and even like and I know like Sarah Del Rey got a little, got a bit of a run in in TNA um, for a little while, but still like even then like that's that's not that much. Like you're saying, like it's it's a shame that these people that came before the current crop, like they 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 had to be the foundation in some ways, which yeah. is unfortunate. But you know, I think that they're definitely getting getting their uh, celebratory due now. With a lot of people looking at looking back at them as the people, and you know, another one uh, up until about a, a month or so ago, I would have said in that crop would have been Mercedes Martinez. But yeah. hello, finally the queen gets the call and, and ends up at NXT. So like, I'm still I'm, waiting for Lufisto to get her flowers. Cause Lufisto yes. has been doing this for almost 20 years. And like, no one like mainstream, like I, it's shocking to me. She hasn't been asked for an AEW. Hasn't done a spot for WWE. Hasn't done anything for impact. Hasn't done. Well, I mean, no one does anything for ring of honor. Cause they always forget they have a woman's division, but that's not a hand or there. Um, <laughs> But like Lufisto is incredible, and she's she's in that same crop of women that like for some reason will is not getting her getting her flowers for the work and for the foundation she has uh, put down for women in terms of women's wrestling and intergender wrestling. Why do you think that is with with Lufisto? Why do you think that she hasn't gotten the the same shake that that some other people have? I, she a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, she put out a, a post regarding um, why she actually felt that that wasn't the case, and it's a lot of hearsay. It's a lot of like, well, I heard that they weren't healthy. 
I heard that this was going on. I heard that that was going on. And for, unfortunately, um, I, in some of the conversations that I've been privy to when it pertains to uh, wrestlers and the booking of wrestlers, and this is not going to surprise anyone, uh, and I've heard this from other promoters, again, not going to surprise anyone, you know, sexism. Um, it's hmm. women are looked at in a, in a different lens than any male is. So if they've heard a male has had like a health care or, um, you know, might not be the nicest person in the locker room, they still fucking book that person because uh, they just don't really seem to give a shit for some reason. Uh, women will be put through the ringer no matter what. So even if there's an ink, inkling and like uh, that there being a, a situation where they might have had an argument with someone, it's immediately, let's get them out of it. And I don't, it's really, it's really not fair. Uh, I've heard nothing but very positive things about her. Obviously, everyone's experience is different, uh, but I actually wanted to try to get her for a show um, for Uncanny. Maybe that can happen in the future because uh, I just think she's um, unbelievable but it's it's a lot of it's a lot of the boys club of well we also only want one woman's match so let's just use your girlfriend <laughs> which i hate to say that but it's true um but it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of politics stupid fucking politics uh, seems to be a lot of that going around in pro wrestling in some at least in some areas <laughs> Yeah. It's, uh, God, that's really unfortunate because, like, someone like Lufisto does deserve a shot, and I would not be shocked. I'm crossing fingers here. I would hope that the AEW would give her a shot at some point in the near future. I mean, they've been good about bringing in independent talents to give them a look yeah. and that sort of thing. Like, I know you know we saw Big Swole get get a contract based off of that. Diamante's had a couple of appearances now. You know, we, w- there's there's room for that division to grow specifically in that company yeah. and and there and Lufisto would be a very welcome addition to that to that company I would say. Honestly, I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing her pop up at NWA. Like in, NWA has been I very subtly like building this very strong women's division down there. Uh yeah, I I, I agree. Like I I remember seeing my first episode and I literally just turned it off and I was like, "Where are the women? What's happening?" And I was like, "Where's the black people?" Um, <laughs> that's that's another like, thing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This is this is not for me." And like that's that's again, I'm very clear about what I want in a wrestling show, what shows I support, what shows I retweet. Um, I need diversity on your card. If I don't see it, I don't want it, and I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to watch it. Uh, but I have heard that they have, um, despite the fact that I don't particularly care for the owners of that company, um, I've heard that they changed a lot of things that they have been slowly bringing in a lot of great talent. They brought in Tasha Steele, who uh, I also consider a friend. Um, she's an absolute sweetheart, and she's incredibly talented. So, like, they, they're definitely looking at people that need to be looked at. So, uh, I think Lufisto, I think a veteran on your roster is always a good thing, you know? Um, you can't have too many veterans in your roster, uh, I feel. Like, that's just a wealth of knowledge, no matter what role they're put in. No, oh, definitely, definitely. All right, and so that diverse... Um kind of vision that that you like to see in the person that you watch is i think one of the main things that people are really loving about uncanny attractions right now 
Um, for the uninitiated listener right now, can you tell tell me a little bit about um, about what Uncanny Attractions is, what it aims for, and and how you came to be involved in it? I'm very curious about that. So Uncanny Attractions, uh, Drags and Dropkicks, uh, we call it an all-inclusive uh, variety wrestling show. It is glow meets um, gay nightlife meets circus, uh, meets drag, essentially. Um, we, the three old, uh, the three people, three producers, uh, it's uh, myself, Amy Young, and Lynn Friley, uh, we kind of all have a vision of wrestling being a little bit more fun, being a little bit, bit more theatrical, theatrical, being a little bit more slick and polished and I mean that in a way that like I think a lot of wrestling shows all look the same and there's no identifying aesthetic that they have and we try to implement that um we kind of want the entire roster the entire crew the entire venue to be representative of what we see in the world so uh that's hiring you know women having women matches having intergender matches having non-binary people on our show having trans people on our show having all lives of the queer life on our show, uh, having people of color from all backgrounds on our show. Um, and it's really, really important to us that we uh, kind of stay true to that vision. Um, the company was started by, the idea was started by M.D. Young, who everyone knows M.D., Polly Cole. He, you know, him and I were friends because we worked uh, at a company called Capital Wrestling, and he left Capital Wrestling. And uh, him and I still became, you know, we still talked. We literally talked like almost every single day. And he had met Lynn. Lynn is like a badass. She owns her own uh, production company. She is the original producer of Coachella. She like has done Super Bowl halftime shows. Like she knows film and TV, um, like the back of her hand. And one day started talking about it and she was like, hey, this would be really cool to do for a, you know, to do a wrestling show together with you. Uh, and I think Evie thought she was joking. <laughs> and then, like, a couple of months down the line, like, she was like, yeah, so we're going to be at House of Yes. Uh, if you don't know House of Yes, House of Yes is a really, really well-known, like, prestigious, like, queer club in Brooklyn, in uh, Bushwick, or Wyckoff. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I know the owners of House of Yes. Uh, we're going to do it there. And so I was not that involved with it. Like, Michael was letting me know what was happening. I helped him come up with, like, maybe two matches. Uh, the rest of, you know, uh, that was his creative. Uh, but I was kind of talking to him a lot through text. And then I went to that show. And then it was like, oh, Michael talked about you before. Um, I'm Lynn. I was like, oh, I'm Darnell, whatever. And she then hired me afterwards to be social media. Uh, so I was social media, and then that kind of delved into more stuff where she realized, that Envy realized that, like, how interested I was in it until it kind of became the decision that all three of us were kind of the working part. So, like, mm -hmm. we, we book everything together, like, literally it's us sitting, you know, at a table, booking everything, talking about what wrestlers we want, what, you know, uh, aesthetic we want, what drag teams we want for the show, uh, what aesthetic we want for the posters. It's all of us, all three of us just sitting together in a room, uh, just kind of hashing this out, just come up with the best shows possible. This will be April 2nd, 11 p.m. Southern Nights will be our fourth show. And we're super, super excited about it. Uh, I think that 
we, I think the thing that's really interesting about us too, uh, and I want to be careful how I say it, but we're not the only all-inclusive company out there. Like, we didn't invent this. This is, we're not the only inclusive company out there that has utilized drag performances in their show. We're, we didn't invent this. Uh, I think what's really important for us is that there were queer companies who, who, yes, I understand wanting to make a home for themselves uh, and like just kind of making it like a little bit more exclusive. And we want to be a little bit more expanding in that. We want to invite everyone into our home. We want to have allies. We want to have, you know, queer people. We want to have everyone be a part of our show. We want everyone to be safe. And I think one thing that wrestling is really, really missing, and it's it's a thing that uh, doesn't allow wrestling to grow. And when people actually do it, they, people, you know, hardcore fans get mad about it, but it it's a good thing. It's like Total Divas. People get so mad at Total Divas, but Total Divas have brought so many people to wrestling that have never watched it before, and that's great. And we want to be the show that, like, yes, Joey always goes to wrestling shows in Brooklyn, so he's going to be there. But I want Patricia, who has no idea what wrestling is, to be at our show, too. I want her to feel included in our show. I want her to not have to have an extensive background of how wrestling works to be a part of our show. And when you see our shows, it's a half and half. Clearly wrestling fanatics and clearly people who have no idea what the fuck is going on. And we love that. Because that's how wrestling grows, right? That's exactly. we, everyone should want to come to our show. We try to do that. No, and, and that's one of the dynamics that I really like about your shows is that you do have like a very like not necessarily diametrically opposed, but like a very diametrically different um, like facets of the audience there, like and and to see like at least from what I've seen, like watching you know the shows on like Fight, um, it seems like no matter no matter why an audience member goes to the show, they seem to get into the other aspect that wasn't their initial interest in a lot mm. of ways. Um, like I know I I want to say the the latest event, the Drags and Dropkicks Volume Three. You know, I was very fascinated to see how quickly people kind of latched on to the the common drag practices, you know, like the throwing money and and um, just people kind of getting into uh, into the drag performances as well, because like that's not necessarily something that your general wrestling fan who was going there to see Funny Bone and, and MV like go like 12 to 15 minutes and tear it up like that's not something that, that they would necessarily be exposed to of their own volition in some ways. So like, has that been, is that something that you've noticed like the, the audiences kind of uh, gravitating to the things that weren't their initial interest at the shows and kind of coming out of them with a different perspective? Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, you, you put it, you said that so well. Uh, I think that's definitely something that is what we strive for. We want to take, what your idea of a wrestling show is and turn it upside down. Um, I think that wrestling, and we've, we've, a lot of us have said this before, people say it online all the time, wrestling is an art form and we want to showcase wrestling as an, as an art form and incorporate it with other different elements of art is our idea. So yes, I want, you know, I don't know, Jasmine, who's ever been to a show to be at my show, 
who, but Jasmine might have came to our show because she saw the word drag on our poster. She was like, wrestling and drag? I've never seen wrestling, but I love drag. Let me go to this show. But I still want Kenny, who goes to every wrestling show, to be like, oh, there's drag? I've never seen drag, but I want to see RJ City. I want to see Sugar Dunkerton. Let me go to the show. And I want Kenny to get used to seeing drag and to see and to be in this space of queer community uh, because that allows him to grow as a person. That allows him to grow as a wrestling fan. That allows wrestling to grow altogether. I think the more we do these type of things, because wrestling, sometimes wrestling is dour as shit, man. Why the fuck are y'all so serious? Like, people are in little underwear, like, oiled up wrestling. It's so stupid and gay. And, like, you watch these shows, and they're so fucking serious. I think a lot of the shows at Mania this year is are really fucking serious, um, which is why, like, I'm all about, obviously, I'm about our show. Uh, I'm all about Faye Jackson's gray sweatpants. I'm all about uh, Nick Iggy's karaoke, like, tournament. <laughs> uh, even prestige wrestling, primetime, like, at these, uh, you know, uh, brunch, horticulture. I'm all about these things that are so much more different than what you're usually used to seeing at WrestleMania because that's, to me, what stands out. That's what I want to go see. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what we try to have the show be. It's like, why would you want to go see yeah, you can go see the same work rate match like that you see a million times. Or you can have some fucking variety. Like we have it's Candy, Zoe Lucas, Sue Young versus Dan Housen, RJ City, and Shaza McKenzie. What the fuck is that match? <laughs> it like it makes no sense, but it makes complete sense. Like it makes no sense, but it makes complete sense, but it's fun. You're like, wait, RJ City and Dan Housen and Shaza are on a team together? Are they going to do the Pee Wee Herman dance? I don't know. <laughs> How is Sue Young going to interact with Candy Lee, who are very different people? I don't know. Like, that to me is wrestling. Uh, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I want people to see that. And I want them to be like, here's all of these different random things about wrestling, all these different random things about life that is in one match. And that's one out of nine matches. That's when I want to go see WrestleMania weekend. But mm-hmm. we want to do that every single time. I mean, I argue I feel like that I went on a tangent. So far. Oh, no. <laughs> the tangents are very welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's very interesting that the, the majority of the shows that you named that are like kind of off the beaten path, quote unquote, um, in terms of the, the mania offerings this year. Um, are all shows that are being put on by marginalized communities for marginalized communities, showcasing marginalized communities. I think that mm-hmm. like we've talked about like how to push like wrestling forward culturally, how to expand its audience. And it is like starting to tap into audiences that have been underserved and like, especially like events the like yours, uh, Effie's big gay brunch for the culture and Faye Jackson's great sweatpants battle Royal, which I cannot wait to see what Can't kind wait. of madness that is going to be. Um, I keep texting her and I'm like, girl, please let me be a judge. Like <laughs> I really, all I want to do, and I'm like trying to be really inconspicuous about it without being too crazy about it. I just want to judge Faye Jackson's show, and I want to judge Nick's uh, karaoke show 
so fucking bad. Uh, <laughs> like, that's all I want to do in life. And then I'm going to be so excited. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I would be very jealous if you get a spot judging uh, the Battle Royal, especially. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, but no, like it, it's it's very cool to see that these communities they're they're putting on the shows that they want to see for the people that they know want to see them, and I think that's something that's been really lacking from a lot of the mania offerings, um, yeah. since it's turned into the weekend that it has. Yeah, and I I think that it's even also uh, this year was very interesting because uh, you know this might not be very popular, but whatever. Uh, GCW is uh, a company that, you know, uh, Brett, Brett has always been very nice to us at Uncanny. He's given us his reign, like, multiple times. Uh, I, I have nothing uh, negative to say about them. But they don't have the best uh, for a lot of – how am I going to put this? For a lot of uh, progressive fans, they don't particularly care for GCW because of some of the people that they book. Uh, and I understand that idea. I totally get that concept. Um, GCW, whether or not you like them, are the only ones putting money into Effie's hand, putting money into AJ Gray's hand. Um, And that's also important. You can call it performative if you want to, but queer and black people, we don't get a lot of options like this. So the fact that someone was like, here's some money, do what the fuck you want to do, whether it's performative or not, whether or not that's what you think about it, like, any little stride is a huge stride in professional wrestling. One of the biggest wrestling collectives, oh, yeah, yeah that works, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, is actively still putting marginalized groups on a pedestal. And I get it. You don't like schlock. I don't care for them either. We got it. But, like, <laughs> I'm also not going to shit on them for – putting their money where their mouth is when they needed to and elevating these voices. Um, and I think it's really, really important. I think sometimes we forget that is that we don't, we are not giving those chances very often. So the fact that they're even being given those chances, let's, let's take a step back from our kind of progressive woke selves and actually just be like, wait, actually this is a really good thing. And this is uh, going to help wrestling in the future. And, and just, calm ourselves down just for a second. There's some people out there that need to hear that and I, and I want you to hear it. Um, you might know who you are. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I have, that's amazing that, you know, Effie has a show and AJ has a show. I, I don't care about the semantics of, uh, as to what's going on behind the scenes. I care that that is still representation for someone that gets to go see it. Uh, and anything like that is a big step, which is great. No, definitely, definitely. Um, back to Uncanny Attractions, though. I'm curious. Whenever you started watching wrestling back in 1996, whenever you're sitting there watching Goldust get run over by a gold cat or Roddy Piper get run over by a gold Cadillac, did you mm-hmm. ever think that you would be involved in producing an actual promotion oh, no. like you are now? <laughs> fuck no. Like, fuck no. I don't even know how this fucking worked out. Like, um, <laughs> I... You know, uh, if if this is your first time hearing me, the moniker "The Fabulous Fashionista of New York City," I am a um, I'm a personal shopper. I'm a stylist. Uh, that is my that is my career. I've went to school for it. I've been uh, doing it for ten plus years. 
you'll always see me at a show in a suit. I never not wear a suit. That is who I am. Uh, the idea of even being remotely involved in wrestling was something that never crossed my never crossed my mind. Um, I owe it to two different situations. Uh, really, one person, honestly. I really owe it to Dustin, who made the Pro Wrestling Mothership, which used to be called Pro Wrestling Iowa, because uh, he asked me to be on his podcast, and he noticed that when I was guesting on his podcast, spikes uh, and, and listeners went up because it was a bunch of white dudes, and here was a black queer guy from New York City. Everyone else was from Iowa. They were like, oh, shit. Uh, but because of that, you know, I went back on my Twitter, and because of my Twitter following and because of, like, people actually listening to what I said, that's when promoters were like, hey, maybe we should get in this guy's DMs and get his opinions about this or opinions about that. And then Capital came and then, you know, I, I helped Battle Club Pro. And it just kind of, like, spiraled in something I never thought would ever happen. Uh, and it's uh, it is unbelievable every single day that I realize that, like, hey, I wanted to book Devin Monroe versus Billy Dixon, um, or I've never seen Effie. Effie and Sunny Kiss have never wrestled before, and it's crazy to me that they have it. And I'm actually friends with Sunny Kiss, which is crazy, and I'm friends with Effie, which is crazy, and we've worked together for years. Hey, why don't you guys wrestle? And I can come up with that match, and like, or we can come up collectively with that match, and it's done. It's fucking weird. It's amazing, but it's fucking weird. Um, you know, MV for uh, asking me to be a part of this, Lynn for believing in me, and Lynn for, like, really teaching me a lot about production and um, having complete faith in me and, like, upping my responsibilities every single show because I'm just like, I, I, this is amazing. You know, even if this, if this is our last show, I feel that we have changed wrestling just a little bit. And that to me is more than I could ever ask for. Hmm. I mean, like, that would be a super awesome accomplishment to have on your record. <laughs> like if yeah. you change the industry, like <laughs> I just, I want to make it a little gayer, a little blacker, <laughs> a little more feminine. <laughs> I want to make it a little bit more extra everything. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's crazy because a, a lot of people are interested in working with us because they they've heard about our positivity, they've heard about our locker rooms, they've heard about our production, they've heard about like we're here to help take care of you and to look out for you, and um, we want everyone to be safe, we want everyone to have fun, and again, just just have fun. And it's not about politics or who you know, who you know, who you know. We just want the show to just be fun. <laughs> Is that what we can expect down in Tampa on uh, April second? Oh, going to be so amazing! Uh, shout out to Laura Moran, who, uh, if you don't know who that is, she is the woman who got really, really viral because she did that amazing Becky Lynch poster, uh, that artwork with her with the bloody face. Uh, but she has done our past two posters. Uh, I told her I want Glow meets Miami Vice, and the posters resemble that. Even looking at our posters compared to other people's posters, it's just vibrant it's happy it's crazy you know we have a lot of first time matches like i said billy dixon versus Devin monroe um sugar duckerton versus still life with apricots and pears but still yeah that's just that's their name i it's like a tongue twister uh main event first time ever sunny kiss versus effie 
you know, uh, Ronnie Nicole versus Danny Moe. Uh, just today, I announced Sir Pintico versus Pinky Sanchez. Uh, oh, that's going to be a good one. Right? Uh, yeah. When would this be out? Uh, this will be out Thursday. Thursday. So um, today's Wednesday. So Thursday's tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I'll announce on here that I am doing um, – I'm sponsoring a whole match myself. Uh, for, well, Pro Wrestling Mothership is, uh, and I'm going to call it the kickoff. Uh, it's because uh, everyone in that match has like wagons. They all have great butts. Uh, Sting <laughs> Jackson versus this first time I'm announcing it. This is before I've even announced it on Twitter or anything. Sting Jackson versus Alley Cat versus Cole Radrick versus Bobby Orlando versus Nick Stapp, formerly CTA. Uh, it's a lot of great talent that's in New York City that doesn't always get to showcase how fucking good they are. If you've never seen Bobby Orlando, he is like the Funniest guy, the sweetest guy, uh, but the funniest guy in the world. Yes, he's the one that comes out with the little goat. Uh, that's Bobby Orlando Jr. Um, I, you know, Nick Stapp has been like killing it. He was just in, um, what's a, what's that great show? Beyond Wrestling. He was just in Beyond Wrestling. Cole Radjic has been killing it in the Midwest. Alley Cat and Fink Jackson are just on another level. Um, and I'm really excited for that match. I think it's going to be the most ridiculous match uh, that we've ever produced because I just – I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, and, like, those are those are things that we like here in Uncanny Attractions where you're like, I never thought I would see those two people interact in a match before. Um, and that's great. It's just going to be a ridiculous amount of fun. We are in Southern Nights the entire day. So we rented out the entire – they're closed on Thursday. We rented out the entire venue for the entire day. Um, not only will we be at 11 p.m., we are working with Casanova. Uh, Murder Mania It's going to be at 1 p.m. No ring, no rules, death match. Uh, then at 5 p.m. will be Prestige Wrestling. And then we will be at 11 p.m. So it's going to be an entire day of incredibly different, uh, but incredibly fun and fantastic styles of wrestling. No, it sounds like it's going to be a blast, and, and I'm glad that y'all have got a, a whole day planned with some awesome partners. I know Casanova Valentine, he's gotten a lot of shout-outs on this show all, all previously, and Prestige, I'm very familiar with being in the Oregon area. So, like, that, Are you coming that, to Mania? I am going to be there, yes. Oh, I'm going are. to be in are Tampa. Are show? I am coming to your show. I'm literally getting off the plane oh. Thursday morning and coming to Murder Mania. So, <laughs> oh shit, yeah, I, I'm gonna. So I'm gonna be there, and I'm. I, I am very, very excited to experience it at a Dragon Dropkick show for the first time in person. Yeah, I, I'm really excited. Do, do you uh, partake in beverages? Oh, totally. Okay, I was like, it's a long fucking day, people. I just want everyone to pace yourself. <laughs> because <laughs> it's 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. essentially. Yeah. Uh, so it's a 12-hour day of wrestling in the same venue, uh, but there will be drinks. I don't know about food, but uh, maybe get some pizza or something. Um, but I just want everyone to pace yourself. You're going you're gonna to love it. It's going to be really, really good. Oh, no. I am super, super excited for, for, for what y'all got going on down there. Um. And I guess my last question for you, this might be controversial. Um, mm. Being a personal shopper, being a uh, a stylist, as you are, um, who is the best 
Who has the best style in the Uncanny Locker Room? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um. <laughs> you don't have to answer if you I don't mean, want to like, step on any toes. I was going to say me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like never, like, seriously, I'm never not in a suit. Never yeah. not in a suit. Uh, that's really hard because a lot of people come and like rack. Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, Mark Adam Haggerty. Mm. That would be that would be my suggestion. He uh, he usually is walking around wearing a blazer. He usually looks really really nice. Um, if not him, I would actually go out and I would say he was at our media show last week. Uh, David Lawless who I did not recognize because he came in wearing a uh, really nice business shirt, tie, slacks. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy saying hi to me? And then it took like about an hour. I was like, oh, shit, I know you. Uh, like, no recollection. Uh, I'm all about coming to places dressed up. He has not been in our locker room, but Darius Carter, uh, people know him. He wrestles a lot in the Northeast always walks into the locker room wearing a suit. Every locker room I've ever worked with him, and I've been in at least 20 different locker rooms with him, always wearing a suit. Uh, I think it is amazing to come dressed, uh, dressed to impress. Like, always. You're always on. Uh, so you've got to represent yourself. But, yeah, I'd, I'd go with Mark. I'd go with Mark. Mark Adam Haggerty, for sure. <laughs> I can't disagree Don't with you, Don't ask me who's worst dressed, because I can't. Oh, no, no. I'm not, don't worry. We're not we're not that kind of judgy here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially like knowing me, like just around the house, I'm like in like a hoodie like all the time. So I'm just like I'm not even gonna try and judge anybody else on that. Um <laughs> Yeah. And I just figured out my outfit. I'm pretty sure I'm wearing a uh, if I can get it like uh, made in time, custom time. I think I'm wearing a burgundy uh cotton seer sucker suit uh, mm. to the show. So with like white sneakers and maybe like uh, just like a, a white button down, white Oxford with some suspenders, you know, casual. Mm-hmm. Very. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well, Darnell, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. Let everybody know um, your social media, where they can uh, get tickets for Drags and Dropkicks Volume 4. Like, Let everybody know where they can find it. Uh, so you can follow me on social media at Zenalicious. Uh, in my bio, you'll see links to uh, the Pro Wrestling Mothership Network, uh, at Queer Nerds. That's what is the uh, podcast as well. Uh, you can follow our social media at Uncanny Attraction Facebook. Uncanny Attractions. Twitter and Instagram is the same. Uncanny underscore attract. Um, make sure you buy our tickets, obviously. <laughs> uh, help me pay my bills. Uh, <laughs> you can get uh, in the link in our Twitter and our Instagram. Uh, or you can go to brownpapertickets.com and search Uncanny Attractions uh, April 2nd, 11 p.m. Southern Nights, Tampa, Florida. It is going to be a absolute blast. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to meeting you. So that'll be really, really fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. I honestly can't remember the last time I talked that much on WrestleMania 12. (laughs) But I am here for it. Um, Once again, thank you to uh, Colette, Aaron, and also 
to Darnell Mitchell for coming on the show this week. Definitely give both of them a follow on the social media, follow all of their fun stuff that they're doing, um, at Colette Aaron and at Delicious on Twitter. Um, and definitely check out uh, Colette's writing on uh, on Fanbyte, uh, or sh- I should say Fan Fight, rather, uh, their wrestling section over there. And, of course, Darnell, uh, the Pro Wrestling uh, Mothership Network for all the, po- all the awesome podcasts. And, you know, I'm all down for a good uh, geeky podcast, especially one that showcases queer voices. But that does bring us to the end of a uh, somewhat supersized edition of LGBT in the Ring. But before we get out of here, we got to say some uh, big thank yous to some people that helped this show be what it is. Uh, most notably, uh, Daniel Quasar. Uh, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. Find out more at quasar.digital. And then, of course, a huge thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for our theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band. And you can check out their music on Spotify and on Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. And if you are into video games, um, you can always tune into my, my uh, video game news po- uh, podcast that airs every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central, over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. That is the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that alongside two awesome Twitch streamers uh, and close friends of mine, Slacker Kite and Lady Merowyn. Um, it's always a fun, ruckus couple of hours of just delving into the week's video gaming news um, and whatever other dumb stuff we end up getting into um, in our respective worlds. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's always fun. Um, but I believe that's going to do it for this week. We are on the quick countdown to Butch vs. Gore here, and I cannot wait. But we have a few more episodes before uh, we go to DC here. Um, And we're going to deliver the same awesome voices, promote the same awesome experiences that we have been for the past four-plus months in that time span. And I can't wait to get back here and do it again next week. So until then... We'll see you next Thursday. Stay messy. And be good to each other.